DiscerningHearts.com presents The Heart of Hope, Suffering, and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is a professor of spiritual theology and serves as a spiritual director at Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops in areas of morality and spirituality and has authored numerous books, including The Way of Mystery, Listening for Truth, and Spiritual Fatherhood. The Heart of Hope, Suffering, and the Cross of Christ, with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. When we talk about deepening our spiritual lives, the mystical doctors of the Church have written over and over again, and also just the lives of the saints, all saints, indicate that in that spiritual journey, we will encounter suffering. And the suffering that enters their life, which is more debilitating than any type of physical suffering they may endure or that we may endure, it is the emotional suffering that truly causes the agony in the soul. Yeah, and the aligning of this uh, emotional suffering uh, with our relationship with Christ, of course, is the, is the important movement of the will there. Uh, we all dread physical pain and physical suffering. Uh, so many, though, live in this emotional uh, state of suffering. And uh, some of it is uh, uh, brought on by our own actions. Others, it seems like uh, some people are victims of conditions not wrought by their own actions. I'm amazed there's so many people in life that seem to be... Uh, victimized into loneliness, isolated by people, uh, rejected, marginalized. And they didn't do anything. They were just themselves. They have a different character or nature or personality. And But over and over again, these people find themselves alone and without friends or without a spouse. Or And it's uh, it breaks your heart because there's nothing that they're doing wrong that would uh, chase people away from them, so to speak, nothing morally. It's just that they might be different in their personalities. And they suffer emotionally, uh, very, very deeply. And so it's this, this continual emotional state of suffering that a lot of times uh, cannot get relief through psychotherapy. Uh, and uh, a physical pain might be able to get relief from a physician. But there are people who linger in these emotional states of pain. And here I think where Christ is particularly brokenhearted and calling out to them to relate their fears, their doubts, their, their lonely state, their sadness, to relate all of this to, the, to his great love for them. And his great love for them uh, is situated in his own emotional state of rejection, and loneliness, and sadness, which is uh, throughout the New Testament, when you look at Jesus' life, he was misunderstood. He was rejected. So these emotional states, which sometimes can be very prolonged, are also opportunities for deeper intimacy with Jesus. Now, when you talk to these people who are in these emotional states, a lot of times they're tempted to say, uh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I don't necessarily want uh, this as the great fruit of my sadness, depression, isolation, is uh, Jesus. I want friends. I want flesh and blood, a uh, spouse or something like that. And this, again, is incredibly painful to listen to and to be with these people 
uh, to see them say that in one way or another, thanks for Jesus. And I, and I know Jesus is giving it his best effort, but I really do want to be married and I really do want to be accepted by a circle of friends. And this is a, a ter- very terrible, dark suffering. And they wouldn't say it this way, but uh, that Jesus is not enough for us. And in a very real way, because we are social beings, uh, and, and a lot of times we perceive that Jesus is not enough for us. And relating our emotional difficulties, our emotional sufferings to Jesus is nice, but I, I want more. And this seems paradoxical that one would want more than a deepening relationship with God. But in fact, even Christ understands this. Christ understands that we need friends, we need fellowship. We, we, this is why we gather in parishes. It is not good for us to be alone. And so, more and more, the Christian community has got to step up and find those who are in uh, pain, in a state, or in a, even a, a life of suffering, and direct our ministry more and more directly uh, to these people who may be hiding right among us, so that Christ can bear his presence to them, not just through an internal affection of love, but through flesh and blood, friendships and fellowship. Relationship is at the heart of all of this, that reflection ultimately of the Trinity, isn't it? That shared love. In giving love to others, there are great risks. And that's where some of those who are not reached out to by the community, that withholding of love, that act of the free will to deny another that relationship, that can be at the heart of a lot of suffering. Exactly. It is at the heart you know, of Genesis 2 when it says it's not good for man to be alone. This is really the crux of it all, that I can bear many, many forms of suffering, physical and emotional, but I cannot bear them alone. And so as a result of the community opening its heart to the Holy Spirit, we rush then to our fellow human beings who are in danger of suffering alone. And of course, this is the great reason for pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry exists because it's dangerous to leave one alone when they are suffering. Dangerous in this way, in the same way it was dangerous for Job, who was tempted to curse God and die. That isolation in our suffering, loneliness in our suffering, can be so crushing that it can threaten to crush even our hope in God. And so the community must uh, come out of itself, so to speak, and individuals in the community must come out of themselves, so to speak, and attend to those who are being threatened, being crushed by their suffering, to the point where this suffering may crush even hope out of them and threaten their trust in God as well. The pain can be so great that many people will move away from the cross at this point rather than to cling to it. And pastoral ministry there is there with these people to reassure them of the great truth of Christ. Cling to him. Even though it feels like or it seems like he has abandoned you. 
cling to him. The ministers are there to bear the truth to those who suffer, so that they will not curse God and die, so that they will run to the cross rather than away from it. It really bespeaks the importance of the pastoral minister having that deep interiority, doesn't it? Exactly. This is such a a difficult reality, though, that we all shudder at, is that we must first suffer the coming of Christ ourselves if we are to endure the sufferings that are at the other end of that next phone call or that next knock on the door. or We must have something to bring to the emptiness of suffering. And if we ourselves do not suffer an interior life, a life of relating our own pains and sufferings to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then all that we usually bring is uh, knowledge that we learn discursively in a class, but not knowledge of the living God. And uh, those who are suffering know what kind of knowledge is useful, if we can put it that way, for them. And what's useful for them is the knowledge that you know and that I know as a result of our own suffering of the coming of Christ. And all the other kind of knowledge is just sort of nodded at or uh, faintly smiled at as, thank you for trying. But in this particular case, in this particular location of suffering, your words about God are not healing. Somehow you must bring him to me as a result of your loving him. If you bring him to me as a result of your loving him, your words and your presence will be useful. There are many in the lay community who desire to be ministers of communion. And it's the distributing of the Blessed Sacrament, whether as an acolyte or a Eucharistic minister of Holy Communion, to the congregation of the assembly on Sundays. And yet, to really go deeply into what that role speaks of, it would seem as though distributing to a congregation that comes forward on a Sunday isn't as deep as potentially opening your heart to go into the nursing home to take it to those who are craving the opportunity to get to church, but they can't get there, or the home of an autistic child, the family who feel they can't come to the church because they're fearful that their child will have an outburst, so they they don't come. Those who want to bring communion are missing that opportunity to assuage that suffering because they don't want to encounter that themselves. Nobody wants to be in the presence of... uh uncomfortability. We don't want to be uncomfortable emotionally. And so, yes, I I will avoid the prison or I will avoid the nursing home or I will avoid the home visitations where I know there is suffering because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I have not suffered the love of God enough and I only bring words about God and I don't really bring God. And so anyone who aspires to minister in the church must equally at the same time aspire to acknowledge in very ways analogous to married couples who will say, I have a good marriage, but it can be better. 
we have to aspire to acknowledge that I know Christ, but a lot of times I know more about him than I really know him. And with that simple turn toward truth, we can enter deeply into spiritual direction, go to confession more, attend the Eucharist more, and just allow him to be there for us, loving us at a deeper level, asking him to come at a deeper level, so that any fear of being in the presence of suffering will be assuaged, and we will be more open to being sent by him, especially to the places we do not want to go. We don't even want to go into our own suffering. Think how difficult it is to go into the presence of the suffering of others. And here is the great need for those who would aspire to be priests or deacons or lay ministers or even just to be uh, neighbors. Here is the great need for all of us to realize that Christ wants to go to those places in your heart that you do not want to go to yourself. This is the deepest and most fruitful form of spiritual formation. If you would just let him go there to those places of your own sickness, your own disabilities, your own fears, invite him to the place that you do not want to name. Let him linger there. Let him name his love for you in the wound that you are most embarrassed about. He will work at the site of that wound and then he will raise you and you will become a type of Christian who will be able to endure the wounds and the sufferings and the darkness of others and bring light to those people. But all too often we do not give Christ time enough to form us. A lot of times we go out and proclaim ourselves ministers because we're needy. We do not want to go to the suffering because we're needy. We want to go to the suffering because we are sent out of the healing of our own wounds. Then we're most useful to them. To just go to those who suffer because we have needs is a way of using the sick or the tormented. And it usually backfires on us anyway. We're just not effective at it. So withstand Christ coming to those places in your own heart, in your own history, in your own past that you are most ashamed of, most embarrassed about, most frightened of, those places of your heart where you think you are most sick. Let him in. Let him linger around those wounds to heal you and then he will send you to the sick and the suffering. We'll return in just a moment to The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. 
Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. In many ways, we don't want to give up the control. We will invite him in to a certain point. And then unfortunately, when pain starts, or it becomes horribly uncomfortable, even going back and trying to reconcile with a memory from a past occurrence, we snatch control away from him, and we shut him out. And this is all natural and understandable, but in the end it can't last, because what you're describing basically is the beginning of purgatory, the beginning of revealing all truth to God, not so that God knows it, but so that we know it and we can finally relate to God in truth. And it is very, very painful to give everything to God and reveal everything to God because we have images, false images, of our own success or our own personality structure where we will not allow ourselves to look at certain aspects of who we are in the full light of the love of God because it will be painful, uh, because our image of ourselves will die and there will be some sense of grieving going on and grief and sorrow is always difficult. But Christ is there 
even as we're naming the pain, even as we're naming the places we do not want him to see. And he's there with us. He's not leaving us alone with the truth about ourselves. He's actually shoring us up as we name the truth about ourselves. It's his love that's enabling us to name the truth about ourselves and to stand then and receive his love. Not despite our weakness, but because of our weakness. He loves us even more because of our weakness. We keep thinking we have to be perfect for God. What really breaks God's heart open is that we are so imperfect, that we are such a mess. And he truly is moved by that. And the more we stay and keep it together in some uh, effort to establish a false sense of self or a, a sense of self that the culture can look at and say, isn't he a great man? Isn't she a great woman? The more we try to hold it together ourselves, paradoxically, we're holding Christ at bay. Christ truly loves you because you're a mess, because you're broken. This is what moves his heart to attach his heart to yours. So the more we avoid the pain of the truth of who we are, uh, the more we are slowing our process of purification. And we're delaying, to some extent, the inevitable purgation that we have to go through. This is why all the saints hint to us that we should undergo this now, not after we die, but now. Let God love you in your own suffering and your own pain now. That's what he wants to do. Isn't that the danger of our sacramental encounters? That by the reception of that tremendous grace that we will be called to suffer now when we've been told, well, why not wait? Or maybe there won't even be suffering. We'll, we'll pass on to the next world and it will be just fine. Yeah, the great lie that love doesn't involve suffering. And this is a satanic lie. Remember that we are destined for a sharing of life in the Trinity. We are attaching our humanity to the humanity of Christ, which is now in the Trinity. We are going to spend eternity in the Trinity, holiness itself. Now, because of our great fear of suffering and pain, particularly in Western culture, America to be precise, American Catholics have to some extent brought into an ideology which says that, yes, you can love and it will cost you nothing. And yet, reality teaches us that the moment we move out of ourselves to think of the welfare of another, there is immediate suffering. Immediate suffering to the ego, to our profound and it's seemingly irredeemable uh, preoccupation with the self. The moment you even begin to behold another's suffering and then are moved to behold that person as needy. One of the first things we will do as human beings is to suffer. And the suffering will be, I wonder what it will cost me to think of another. This is a deep pain. For the saint doesn't think of himself or herself. When they behold the other in suffering, they immediately move 
toward the relief of that suffering. The majority of us will immediately count the cost to the self. And a lot of times, the pain of what it will cost us to move to those who suffer is enough to keep us from moving. So we cannot even love another human being on this planet without undergoing suffering, a suffering and a pain that may actually stop our love. And yet we think we are worthy to spend all eternity with holiness itself? This, of course, is the great sin of presumption. No, all love, because of our broken and fallen human nature, all love involves a suffering and a pain, because the ego has to die. No greater love than to give one's life for one's friends. And when we look at Jesus, that God would endure suffering, the one who is blameless, would suffer such death and torture, even unto the cross. I think that Jesus' innocent suffering is a focus, or should be more of a focus of our meditations daily. He did nothing wrong. He was innocence itself. Innocence taken on flesh. And he chose, out of the goodness and holiness of his divine will, to enter into everything that frightens us. He would be there with us and for us. And this type of love demands a response. This is not what you would call your ordinary type of love. This is a love that is so profoundly different, so profoundly other than we know, that we must meditate meditate on it more often so that its shocking uniqueness begins to define the way we love God. For until we understand that Jesus' total innocence was part of the reason he chose to love us, we will never be truly grateful for that love. And we will simply take it for granted that God is love. God is love, but God is perfectly happy in himself. And there was no reason for him to think outside of his own love. There was nothing that demanded it, and yet he did. And when he did, creation came to be. And we came to be, because he willed to share his own happiness with us. And so what we need to do is meditate more and more on God willing to create us, and then when we fell, his willingness to enter into every form and every minute suffering that we underwent because he loved us. This is the source of all gratitude for the human being and all happiness for the Christian. The importance of that meditation on the passion of Christ, that willingness to enter into that suffering for us, is brought forward to us by some incredible saints in their experience, whether it's St. Francis and his method for the the Stations of the Cross or St. Bridget of Sweden and her mystical revelations of those 15 prayers or St. Faustina and her diaries where we're told each day it would be ideal in the three o'clock hour to reflect on the way of the cross or even in that moment for Mother Teresa where 
for her, the changing point is when she heard Christ say, I thirst. For all of the saints, whether it's Padre Pio bearing the wounds of the stigmata, it all points towards entering into that suffering, doesn't it? And beautiful reminders that you give us there in the lives of the saints. What, it, what is it that you do each day that helps you remember God's great love for you in your suffering? Hopefully you have a crucifix in your home. And don't just you know, leave it there like a, you know, a, a piece of art that uh, takes up a place on the wall of your house. Take it down sometime. Hold the crucifix. Talk to Jesus about how much you love him, even though you don't understand such a love that he gave to you. But become more vulnerable to this mystery of the crucifixion. Place all of your wounds in the wounds of Jesus. Most of the wounds that we have are self-inflicted. A lot of our suffering is self-inflicted because we chose to be sinful, selfish, self-centered. He wants those wounds that are self-inflicted because he wants to heal you of your deepest sorrow, which is sin. Take the cross. Take a picture of Jesus that you might have in your home. Read the Bible regarding the death of Jesus Christ and ask him to take all of your sorrow and all of your suffering and replace it with gratitude. A gratitude that comes from the very depths of your heart, your very being, so that no one can take this thankfulness, this Eucharist, from you. That you live as a person of thanksgiving. Because now, every time you suffer and every time you're in pain, you can associate it, relate it, have communion with the one who has suffered in love for you. In other words, you can taste your own salvation. You are not alone. You are not isolated in your pain and in your suffering. He is coming to you in it, and he wants to bear it with you out of love for you. You've been listening to The Heart of Hope, Suffering, and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcast. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Heart of Hope, Suffering, and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating.